I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast. We really tried to introduce this notion of social value into the risk profile because, you know, we're not just uh, investors, right? We we also really prioritize social impact. Um, when we think about high risk, high return, we're also thinking about the high return on the social impact side. That's Don Chen, president of the Billion Dollar Certain Foundation. Don joined Cerdna in 2018 as the board focused the foundation's grant-making on racial and social justice. Before that, he was director of the Ford Foundation's Just Cities and Regions program. Cerdna has committed $100 million to impact investing in the form of program and mission-related investments and staked out innovative approaches early on in the COVID crisis. Let's jump right into our conversation. And welcome, Don. Thanks, David. It's great to have you. I've been looking forward to this conversation, and um, in particular because I've been watching your writings through kind of this crazy year we've had. Um, you're, you're one of your most recent posts has the provocative title of um, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community, which I think comes from a, a Dr. Martin Luther King's 1968 book. So I guess my first question to you is where do we go from here, chaos or community? <laughs> Well, uh, thank you for asking that. It, I uh, posted that on, on MLK Day, and uh, Dr. King's been an inspiration for me ever since I was a little kid. And I often turn to this book because it was one of the last things he wrote. Um, he gave a couple speeches around it, and it was really uh, an encapsulation of a lot of what he was really pressing for at the time, which, um, as, as you know, was really for uh, economic justice. Uh, he was um, standing shoulder to shoulder with, with uh, striking sanitation workers when he was murdered and assassinated. And this uh, book, Where Do We Go From Here, uh, is really, uh, in a lot of ways, it reflects his thinking late in his, his time on Earth with us. So I decided to pick that theme because um, I think so many of us these days uh, really regard ourselves at a crossroads. Uh, we've seen you know, some of the worst of what we have here in the United States with the rise of white nationalism and, and violent uh, um, movements to try to under, uh, undermine our democracy. Um, and at the same time, we've seen some of the best. We've seen people mobilizing, really getting involved in the democratic process, uh, registering voters uh, in places like Georgia, um, the uh, increased uh, participation of, um, of Black voters, uh, in particular women of color, has been very inspiring. And so there's been a lot of positive uh, uh, experiences coming out of this last um, period. And when I wanted, I wanted to raise that question um, because I think some people would love to just say, okay, let's go in this direction. Let's uh, you know, let's let's build community now. But um, the point of my uh, essay, my blog post on the Cerdna website was to say, before we move on, we really need to uh, recognize that accountability, truth, um, some soul searching, frankly, some self-reflection as a, as, a, as a people really needs to occur before we can really move on in a way that um, helps us learn from this latest episode in our history. So, that's the lesson that I really take from, you know, the endless series of lessons that I get from Dr. King. Yeah, yeah. A kind of a reckoning and a kind of recommitment um, in a sense. And just tell me a little bit about how Cerdna has sort of navigated, you know, uh, you know, not just the pandemic and the and the particulars of, of working, but 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 that if you like, but also um, sort of the the, the challenges that, um, you know, have been laid down for us, you know, whether, you know, from from the. The, the racial justice protests of the, of the summer and, 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 you know, 
where does Serdna play and you know what are you thinking about in terms of where you take it from here? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, glad to talk about that. And before I dive into the events of last year, I'll just note uh, some background. Uh, the Serdna Foundation has uh, was established in 1917, so uh, we're 103 going on 104 years old, and uh, it has really... Can you unlock the riddle of the name for, for folks who, who haven't uh, sure. uh, done their anagrams yes. yet? <laughs> Our founder is uh, John E. Andrus. Uh, he was a very successful investor uh, and uh, uh, industrialist. Uh, he um, founded a chemical company, pharmaceutical company, was an early investor in Standard Oil, Singer Sewing Machine, and, and many other um, investments that really uh, bore fruit, as you can imagine. And he was the mayor of Yonkers, New York, um, and also a congressman from uh, this part of New York. So uh, he uh, established, oh, and Serdna is Andrus spelled backwards. Um, right. yeah, the, yeah. the family lore is that he, he didn't really want to put his name on things, um, although he did end up putting, you know, his family put his name on a number of things, but he uh, seemed to be fairly modest and, and didn't really want to put his name in lights. And so um, Serdna is Andrus spelled backwards. Uh, and over the decades, the foundation has really evolved since 1917. It always focused on the needs of society's most vulnerable, um, starting with uh, orphans. Uh, later in the 1950s, it focused on uh, what we would call, you know, very low-income retirees. Um, and then in the 1980s, it established itself as a professionally staffed foundation and chose to be a, a social change foundation uh, as opposed to a direct service um, foundation. And then 2008, uh, the board unanimously voted to adopt social justice as its mission. And 10 years later in 2018, uh, the board decided to put racial justice in, a in the center of our mission because um, uh, I think we all recognize that to achieve social justice in the US, you have to focus on uh, racial justice as well. So, so that is really uh, what's driving us today. And that's about when you when you came in um, uh, as the as the president uh, a, a few years ago. Yeah, and so 2018, and then you fast forward just you know a year and a half um, or less uh, to the the early part of uh, 2020 uh, when the pandemic hit. So um, just to get to your question, um, we along with a lot of other funders. Um, found that we had to respond quickly. Uh, we are not a disaster response or a, an emergency response funder, but we realized that this was a, challenge, a set of challenges that were really unprecedented during our lifetime uh, in the last century. So some of the things that we did are, are things that a lot of foundations uh, managed to do. And so we, we did many, many things collaboratively. One was to really um, provide a lot more flexibility uh, to both our grantees and our um, our PRI users, uh, you know, giving more flexible terms, uh, you know, basically putting delays on uh, covenants and fees and uh, various things to just cut them some slack. Um, with regard to the grant making side, we decided to create uh, a pot of money which would basically enhance uh, and and make bigger. Uh, some of the grants that we were providing by basically spending our unallocated funds for the next fiscal year. So we decided to kind of speed that up. And then later as the pandemic wore on, and then it was, you know, all the, the sense of urgency was compounded by 
these various protests and uprisings uh, around racial injustice, uh, I went to the board and uh, we talked about increasing our spending, which the Serdna Foundation had never done previously beyond the 5% requirement. And so we had a couple of months um, of discussion about that, uh, just to figure out what that would entail, what the, the impacts would be, and um, and also the value proposition. You know, why is it important for us to spend more at this time? Uh, and, and what could we expect uh, from doing more of that? So we did end up um, spending about a third. It's uh, about a third more than we currently spend, and that's planned for the next three years. And uh, we're in the middle of that right now. Uh, the exact amount is going to fluctuate because it depends a little bit on the performance of our endowment. But uh, right now, since our endowment is doing well, it's um, you know we're able to free up a lot more resources uh, to our grantees and make sure they can weather uh, these various storms. Well, one of the things I wanted to 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 get into with you, because I did see that you are now the co-chair of something called the President's Council, I think, on Impact Investing with Darren Walker at the Ford Foundation. And there are kind of a movement, as it were, of some foundations towards impact investing. In your answer, you fell into a little bit of uh, philanthropy sector speak. You talked about PRIs. So yes, folks might true. know those are called program-related investments. Um, there's distinctions between program-related investments and MRIs or mission-related investments. All the philanthropy wonks will 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 know what we're talking about. Um, and then you also mentioned the five percent uh, requirement, which is the minimum payout of the correct me if I'm wrong assets, the value of the assets in any given year. And you, as you said, you've gone beyond that, which which was one of the things actually got me interested in this field was um, when I started uh, reporting on it um, way back, um, I had not known about that 5% requirement. And to me, it just struck me as strange that all this money was sitting in the bank and only 5% was going out. Um, I now understand it's, you know, complicated, as they say, but um, you have taken a step, uh, you know, back a few years, I think, I think possibly predating your arrival, you, you correct me, um, to, to move some of the endowment into, into towards mission in so-called mission direct, what do you call it? Mission, mission? Well, we mission? call, we call the whole thing impact investing. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's broken up into mission related investments and program related investments. Uh, and uh, you're very good to, um, decode the acronyms. I will continue <laughs> to try to do that during this interview. <laughs> um, and so I want to get into, you know, Serdna's uh, work with Impact Investing. But first, just I want to hear a little bit about, about your your journey, actually, and where, you know, I know you, you came from Ford, but tell us sort of where you started and why you're passionate about this work. Sure. I was uh, a grant seeker for many years. Um, you know, starting in the early 90s, I was going to foundations like Ford and Serdna and many others. Uh, for grants, uh, working on a variety of issues, mostly on environmental justice, urban policy, affordable housing, transportation reform, and those types of issues. And uh, I came to philanthropy uh, when I was hired by the Ford Foundation in 2008. So, you know, I had no idea what impact investing was. I didn't, I barely knew anything about investing, you know, period. Um, and I started learning about uh, program-related investments and, and various other approaches. And that's really where I cut my teeth in terms of just learning um, about things like housing finance and uh, various other topics. You picked a good time to learn about housing finance. Uh, well, right? it's also you the right joined place up in to 2008. Learn. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, it was the right place to learn also because the Ford Foundation, um, cl uh, close to 50 years prior to that date, uh, had invented or 
basically come up with the idea and develop this uh, tool uh, that we now know as program-related investing uh, and um, recently celebrated the, the 50th anniversary of that. Um, and so at the time, the Ford Foundation really used PRIs as more like patient capital, um, uh, low co patient low-cost capital to meet the capital needs of their grantees. And so um, there are plenty of PRIs made to CDFIs and for housing finance and various other uh, needs. Um, and they're starting to really evolve that. Um, there was recently a, a much bigger play over at Ford coming out of their endowment as opposed to out of the grant-making side. Um, and so uh, that that is absolutely fantastic set of approaches and strategies that they've really um, taken on. Well, let me again to cut in just so that the uh, listeners can understand. So I think what you're talking about is the billion dollar carve out from what I think at the time, as I recall writing, it was a 12 to $14 billion endowment at Ford and taking a billion dollars yes. and, and moving that into these mission re related investments. And they've, they've been, they've been, you know, working at that now for several years. And it was seen as a, a little bit of a watershed for foundations to tap as we said, this bigger endowment side of the of, of capital, I will say from from where we've sat, we've been maybe surprised that the momentum hasn't gone faster since that announcement because that was supposed to be a sort of starting bell, not a not the <laughs> not the whole thing. Um, yeah, I think you know the this question about uh, how we grow the field is one of the key focus areas of the President's Council on Impact Investing. Um, as you know, uh, one of the goals that CERDNA has, as well as Ford, is to really um, not only participate in impact investing activities, but also uh, to figure out how to grow the field. Um, uh, and that's a combination of things, including networking and learning, um, sharing our experiences, um, modeling uh, the way you can potentially do it uh, with the with, uh, uh, various types of success, uh, and then also just recruiting more folks to be interested in and even uh, start investing alongside us. Um, and uh, I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, the the, the progress may seem uh, to be rather slow in, in some areas, but uh, I also acknowledge that the world's been a little volatile lately. And so uh, I personally think that I've seen a lot of progress in the last few years uh, in terms of the level of interest um, uh, in impact investing over the, uh, this period of time. And hopefully that will just increase in the coming years. So tell us a little bit about, about certain, I know that there is this commitment. I know you've made some early investments. I noticed on the, that you're were early investor in, in the impact America fund, Kisha Cash's fund, um, that, that she's just raised. Um, um, t tell us a little bit about how you think about deploying that capital against what we were talking about in terms of the, the strategies and programs of the foundation. Sure. Well, there are a couple of resources um, I'll uh, turn the audience to. One is uh, we took this impact investing uh, journey, if you will, very seriously. Uh, we had a board of directors uh, and a staff that really didn't know a whole lot about impact investing. Uh, and, you know, uh, the, the, the time period I'm talking about is like the middle of the last decade, you know, around 2014, 2015 or so. And uh, we decided that this is something, this is an area that we really wanted to invest some time and attention to and then get to a decision. So we spent about nine months or so uh, working with our various board members, staff, some external advisors, uh, really going through a framework, uh, like a decision-making framework, uh, which ultimately led us to decide uh, to devote $100 million of our endowment to impact investing 
Um, it's roughly 10% of our endowment, which is over a billion dollars right now. And uh, s- some of the, the questions that we went through in this framework were just really basic things, um, but also uh, questions that a lot of folks you know, may not um, may, you know, a lot of folks may not know where to begin in, uh, in terms of impact investing. And so um, some of the key questions are, um, for example, um, what is impact investing? You know, what are the t- different types of tools? Like, why would you do it? You know, uh, and so that led us to really take a look at our existing endowment. What do we have in it? Like, what do we own? What's, what are in these various funds? Uh, do these various uh, holdings reflect our values? Does it reflect our mission? Um, and if not, then what? What can we do about it? Um, a really critical step was really taking a landscape view of all of the different potential impact investing tools out there. You can, of course, there's you know various types of investments like the one you mentioned with Impact America, but there's also uh, shareholder engagement and shareholder activism, uh, various other th- you know there's the development of standards and norms uh, in terms of really trying to define, try to better define what impact is. Uh, in this realm and various other activities. And so we looked at all of that uh, during this nine month process and uh, eventually landed on a few choices at the end of that process. And uh, this was, you know, by the time we were done with it, it was about uh, 2016, 2017. And we published a report on that, which you can find on our website. I think it's called Mapping the Journey to Impact Investing. And it's very much an impact, you know, impact investing 101 document. and when we, uh, the choices that we made were basically to make mission-related investments or MRIs uh, out of our endowment to the tune of about 82 million, uh, and then uh, make program-related investments or PRIs um, uh, out of our endowment to the tune of about 18 million. Uh, and the idea there is a couple of things. Number one, most program-related investing programs that you see across the philanthropic sector come out of grant budgets. Um, and uh, we decided to put that instead in our uh, endowment, which is unusual. And rather than treat it entirely as uh, low-cost patient capital, which you know tends to be the case, uh, we decided to treat our PRI funds as high-risk, high-reward funds. Uh, and so that's how we use it. Uh, and it's led to some really exciting, very interesting investments. Well, let me stop you on that because that's fascinating because one of the things that has come up in the field, as you well know, and in fact, your own uh, program officer, Michaela Davis, called it out, was was a question of what the level of risk appetite there is um, it, 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 in the investment side. I think it's also true on the philanthropy side in some cases, right? Of how are you going to find those new ideas that are not you know, as they say, ready to scale, you know, buttoned up, you know, all risk adjusted and 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 ready for, you know, fully commercial investors. It's folks like Cerdna that have a different kind of capital that might be able to make a difference in that. So how do you think about risk? You know, that's a great question, because I think this whole experience has led us to really um, revisit this question about risk. Um, what do we mean by it? And if you can break it down, like, you know, how can you potentially um, you know, de-risk a situation uh, by recognizing what's really important. And, you know, one thing that we found was that, um, uh, you know, for example, it, one, one thing we decided to do was to uh, entrust our funds with um, uh, fund managers of color. Uh, as you know, the, the finance field is, is uh, you know, um, 
very male dominated. Uh, it's also very white dominated. There are very, very few people of color and women uh, in the field as fund managers. And uh, diversifying that uh, is not only a good thing to do um, in terms of expanding opportunity, but it also is like recognizing a lot of the talents and the perspectives that are different from what, what you normally see in the finance field. And so, you know, you may have someone with a completely different lived experience um, who brings a different uh, perspective that is actually valuable and can uh, generate returns um, in ways that uh, may not be expected by mainstream investors. And so uh, we want to tap uh, those different perspectives with this notion uh, that a diversity of viewpoints can really find those those hidden gems. And so uh, that's, that's one way to think differently about risk. Um, and also we really try to introduce this notion of social value uh, into the risk profile because, you know, we, we're not just uh, investors, right? We, we also uh, really prioritize social impact. Um, when we think about high risk, high return, uh, we're also thinking about the high return on the social impact side. Um, and so that's, that uh, figures into our calculus as well. And, you know, the list goes on, but those are the types of things that we've really uh, tried to, um, to uh, interrogate. Uh, and, and we've tried to shed just kind of the knee-jerk assumptions that a lot of people have going into the field. If I can pull it all together, it seems like a lot of these threads are basically around mobilizing additional resources against both the, obviously, the um, the, the challenges and the crises, but also the opportunities. And I, I guess maybe where do you see those opportunities? What would we double down on or even, you know, 10x? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, that's a great question, especially right now. Um I think if we put all of uh, our work in perspective, if you look at the philanthropic sector, yes, there are foundations that are very large, they have billion dollar endowments and, and so forth, um, but our money uh, to achieve impact is relatively small. In fact, relatively very small compared to what governments can do. Uh, and so, you know, CERDNA, like other foundations, we are trying to do what we can with every uh, asset, every resource that we have, including grants, uh, investing, um, our, our, our voices, our public platforms. But uh, one thing that I think will be um, continue to be uh, especially important for all of us is to really think about uh, how uh, government can really uh, use its resources um, and then leverage uh, additional investors, additional capital uh, to the challenges that are facing all of us. Um, That's a hot topic on, um, you know, in Congress and in terms of, you know, very large outlays for stimulus and recovery. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it really is a kind of extraordinary moment. Yeah, it is. And I think if you look at the history of um, impact investing in the United States, there are so many partnerships between private foundations, um, uh, different levels of government, um, uh, financial institutions, and the like. Uh, and that's for good reason. I think that foundations are in a great position to um, pilot things, uh, to demonstrate uh, the feasibility of various uh, approaches. Uh, during my time uh, prior to joining the Serna Foundation, I was involved in a lot of uh, affordable housing uh, finance, including um, the Bay Area Transit uh, Oriented Affordable Housing Fund, uh, where you know we had partners with um, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission uh, and various others, and uh, a series of foundations that put money in to basically create um, a highly leveraged uh, fund to create affordable housing along transit lines. And then other private investors came in after that because 
you know, we were subordinate uh, to uh, their positions in the in the so-called capital stack, um, and, and uh, de-risked de- de- it for them in some level. De-risked yeah. it for them, made it more comfortable for them to be able to to come in, and um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there there are multiple ways in which I think uh, you know foundations can play a role in demonstrating things. Um, the federal government, other governments, uh, levels of government can send signals. They can also um, be very innovative uh, with the capital that they're able to provide uh, and then attract other investors and, and, and other capital to uh, key problems. One thing I'm particularly interested in based on the early pronouncements coming out of the Biden-Harris administration are uh, these uh, announcements about uh, wanting to invest more in infrastructure, uh, wanting to pivot more to, for example, a green economy uh, with good jobs, um, and uh, investments that will help us uh, uh, reduce our reliance on fossil fuels, uh, those are potentially really transformative uh, for not only communities where you could potentially see um, local people getting hired and uh, people of color uh, not only gaining employment, but also uh, entering some of the career ladders that really lead to better and better opportunities, but also, of course, because of the climate impacts, uh, which would be positive and and the economic benefits from that too. So I think that's a, a potentially a very ripe area for uh, various types of uh, investments and participation from foundations, private investors, government alike. Um, indeed, we've taken to calling that around Impact Alpha, the the reconstruction. And just in a little bit of sort of podcast cross-promotion, we've got a, a, a new series of podcasts called The Reconstruction, which tries to wrap all of this together and this opportunity of, of, of rebuilding, you know, in a sense, uh, from the pandemic, but also longer term from from many of the injustices. And and I, and to, to cross promote certain a bit um, in our first interview with Melissa Bradley, who I know certain has worked with, she calls out the work certain has done in the pandemic as, as really exemplary. So um, we thank you so much, Don, for sharing with us today. And um, we look forward to, to staying in touch and, 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 and watching what you're doing with certain. So thanks very much. Thank you. That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about Don and the work of the Serdna Foundation at impactalpha.com. Big thanks to Don and to our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha, investment news for a sustainable edge. Till next time. <laughs>